You're listening to The Riverwalk, the preaching ministry of Beth River Baptist Church in Winsboro, Louisiana. Today's message is entitled, Confirmation or Condemnation. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy. If you have a copy of God's Word this morning, we're going to look at the very, very end of your Bible in the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 20. A lot of times we try to avoid Revelation, but you can ask my wife, Carissa. I've been a bit obsessed with it lately. I've been studying it a lot and learning new things, learning new different types of beliefs. And the truth is, if anybody tells you they've got every little thing figured out about Revelation, they're not telling the truth because there's a lot of things in there that are just a mystery. There's a lot of things in there that can be interpreted differently. And there's a lot of things in there that that doesn't affect your salvation at all, but it's just neat to study and to know. But today is not one of those days. Today we're going to look at something that I think universally every Christian doctrine holds to. Uh, the, the very end of time, what we all have to look forward to, or what we all have to dread, and that is the great white throne judgment we read in Revelation chapter 20. I don't think I've ever spoken on this before, but I thought it was a good time to talk about it this week. Because this last week, there's been something interesting going on on Capitol Hill. It's been the hearing, the confirmation for Judge Amy Court Barrett to be appointed to the Supreme Court. To my knowledge, I think she is the first Supreme Court Justice Louisiana will have ever had. It's a lifetime appointment, and it's something to be taken very seriously. I mean, arguably, a Supreme Court Justice could have more power than even the President in their decisions they make. So when they have these confirmation hearings, it's, it's always interesting to me. It's always somebody who's very well qualified, whether they're on the left side of the aisle, the right side of the aisle. They are very well qualified. They have the highest degrees, the highest grades. They have made, they've made a career of making judgments. But at this point in their career, everything is totally flipped. Everything is backwards, right? Judge Amy Barrett, she has made a career of, of teaching law, of making decisions, of, of, of being a judge. But this week, she is being judged. This week, they are asking her to give an account for her actions. They are looking back at the decisions she has made, and they are making a judgment based on her. Now, if, if they've done their job right, now we probably will all agree here that Washington, D.C. does not work at all like it's supposed to. Because half of them, or any of them, are probably not going to make a decision based on her decisions. They're going to make a decision based on party. But if it works like it's supposed to work, they're going to listen, and they're going to make a decision whether to confirm her on her actions in the past. But can you just imagine for a minute, can you just imagine for a minute, what kind of pressure that would be? I mean, think about it. You've done your whole life, and literally every decision she's made is public record. They're not only looking at her, they're looking at her family, her husband, her children, her religion. Man, what kind of pressure that must be. And let's just be honest, since she's human, I am sure that she has made some decisions that she's regretted. I'm sure she's wondered if she's made some of the right decisions. I'm sure she's had highs and she's had lows in her career. For once again, she's human. It's got to be a scary process. It's just got to be. 
So that brings me to today. What if I told you today that every person sitting here, every person listening to the podcast, because I know today there's several listening to the podcast, whether you're as young as Esther or whether you're as old as George Ray, he just bought his age into account a minute ago so I could do that. Everybody, young or old, one day we are all going to have to stand before a supreme judge and one day we will be judged according to the decisions that we have made. One day we'll stand before a judge and we'll have to give an account for our actions. We don't talk about this enough and I wouldn't be a very good pastor if I didn't share with you Share with you today so you will be ready for your confirmation hearing. So let's read about this confirmation hearing. There's some disagreements in Revelation on timelines and stuff like that. But like I said, universally, pretty much everybody agrees that this is going to come at the very end of time. After the Lord comes back, after Satan is bound, after everything is done... Lost, saved, believers, unbelievers, Muslims, Christians, everybody is going to have a part in what we read in Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15. John says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them, and I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. And books, notice the word books, were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up their dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast to the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life, was cast into the lake of fire. Notice there's a few books, and there's only one book that really matters, and I'll get into that to a second. But the confirmation process, what makes us be confirmed or denied, is if our name is written in that single book, the book of life. And we'll talk about that in a second. But notice, we're not separated from anybody else. In the beginning, we are all judged according to our works. So understand this morning... Please understand this morning, we as Baptists, me included, believe very, very stringently. I believe the Bible teaches it. We're saved by grace, not of works. We can't lose our salvation. But it's not a matter of if we are judged according to our works, it's when. Every Christian will be judged according to our works, according to what's in them books. It's a scary thing. It's an intimidating thing. One day, I will have to give an account just as you will. Even though I followed Jesus the majority of my life, you'll have to give an account. Why did you make that decision, Kevin? Why did you do that, Kevin? Why did you not share Christ with that person? I put him or I put her in your path on that day. I gave you a chance and you didn't do it. Why didn't you do that? Why, Kevin, why in the world on that Sunday morning you had perfect chance? The weather was perfect. The weather was nice. Social distancing was in place. Everything was made for you to be in church on that day. I had a word for you that day, Kevin. Why wasn't you there that day, Kevin? Why didn't you do what the Holy Spirit told you to do? Hey, Kevin, I loved you so much. I died on a cross for you. I sent my Holy Spirit to live within you. I, I've led 
led you. I, I guided you the decisions to make and not to make. And Kevin, you just ignored it. Why did you do that? Kevin, Kevin, you, you're mine and I was yours. We walked together. I knew you before you were born. You, you quoted it during the pro-life season of elections. You said before you were cre- created in your mom's womb, you were fearfully and wonderfully made. Yet, as well as you knew me, you made the decision to willfully sin. You had my Holy Spirit walking, talking, leading you. You had a pastor that loved you. You had a Bible. You had friends to help guide you, disciple you. And yet, Kevin, yet you still did things your own way. That's kind of scary to think about, isn't it? That is kind of scary. It keeps me up at night, especially as a shepherd of God's people. Even scarier than that is the people that I know that, whose names are not written in that Lamb's Book of Life. But why would... You've got to ask yourself, if, if works don't save and grace saves, and we know that, why, why would our works even come into question? That's a good question. That's, that's why, why would I have to give an account for my works? Why are my works coming into question long after I've died... After I'm going to heaven. And this is, this is something to look forward to. And it's because Christians at this point, Christians will also be rewarded for their works. Like, listen, we, we live and we got this idea that heaven is the reward. And heaven is a great reward. And it's something to look forward to. And it is. If that's all that happened, if I gave my life to Jesus today and I died five seconds later, heaven's the reward. That's great. But did you know the Bible speaks of rewards over and over and over again? As a matter of fact, there are five specific rewards mentioned in the Bible. Five crowns mentioned for believers in the Bible. And I believe this is the point when Jesus himself will look down and he'll say, Hey, you did this. Here's your crown. Let me be specific. I don't know what the crown looks like. I don't know if it's figurative or if it's literal. I don't know if it's made of gold. I don't know if it's heavy. I don't know if it's purple. I don't know if we'll see each other wearing the crowns. But I know that the Bible speaks about these crowns in the Bible. And I know that everybody here is eligible to receive a crown during that white throne judgment. I'll go through the first five. And you could write these scripture references down if you want to. But five... Five crowns mentioned in the Bible for believers. The first is what's called the victor's crown. The victor's crown. This crown is rewarded to believers who discipline their minds through the study of God's word and prayer. The victor's crown. You can read about that in 1 Corinthians 9, 25 through 27. Paul wrote the Corinthian church and he said, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it, and everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty, thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified." Paul's saying in that verse, hey, there is a victor's crown. I'm running the race. I'm disciplining, disciplining my body to be the kind of man that God wants me to be. I'm studying the word. I'm praying. I'm trying to live holy. I'm coming to church. And that will not save me. That will not save me. That will not save anybody else. But one day God's going to look down and say, here, Paul. Here, Kevin. Here's the victor's crown. 
That's not the only crown the Bible talks about. The Bible also talks about in 1 Thessalonians 2.19, what's called the crown of rejoicing. The crown of rejoicing will be given to those who have led others to Christ. Paul wrote in that letter, he says, For what is our hope, our joy, or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at His coming? What a crown of rejoicing. That crown of rejoicing, that's going to be whenever you're there and you look over and you see your son or your daughter or your friend or maybe even an enemy who said, Hey, I came to Christ because of you. What a crown of rejoicing. I'm going to rejoice one day because I'm going to see you because maybe, just maybe I had a little part in that. That's a crown of rejoicing. That crown is available to you folks. And Jesus will be able to look down from His white throne and deal that crown out. And He's going to give it to the person or persons that helped me come to Christ. A crown of rejoicing. The third crown mentioned is the crown of righteousness. You can read that one in 2 Timothy 4.8 when Paul is getting ready to to leave this earth, to be martyred himself. It's going to be given to those who have a longing for the Lord Jesus, who look for Jesus' return. Paul wrote, Finally, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all those who have loved His appearing. Those who are looking for the Lord Jesus. Those who are looking for Jesus more than the next election. Those who are looking for Jesus more than the next paycheck. Those that are looking for Jesus and His return. That's called the crown of righteousness. Wouldn't it be great one day to, for the Lord to say, Here's your crown above all else. You were looking for me, Kevin. Kevin, you were looking for me. Here's your crown. Just like Paul. Just like Peter. Just like all these other disciples you read about in the Bible. You were looking for me. Here's your crown of righteousness. Paul said it was laid up for him. I believe it's saying, hey, it's laid up for me, it's waiting for me on that day of the great white throne judgment. It's laid up for me, and it's waiting for me, and it's still waiting for me. Is it waiting for you? The fourth is what's called the crown of life. The crown of life is placed upon those who have endured and triumphed over trial and temptation and persecution, even to the point of martyrdom. This is the only one I know that's mentioned actually twice in Scripture. First in James 1.12 and second in Revelation 2.10. James 1.12 it says, Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. The crown of life. For those, hey, you've been tempted, you've been, tempted, you've been punished, you've, you've had a hard time at work, you've had a hard time in your family, you've lost relationships, and many, many, many even today are losing their life for the sake of the gospel. That's a sharp contrast for somebody getting the crown of life versus somebody that won't even sacrifice a Sunday morning to come to church. I'm looking forward to seeing those given out because anybody that loses their life for Jesus, don't they deserve a crown? And the fifth and the last one, and there may be more that I'm not aware of, but the fifth and the last one is the crown of glory. The crown of glory. This is the one that I hope I get one day. The crown of glory is awarded to the faithful shepherds of the people of God and to Christian leaders. Peter wrote in 1 Peter 5, 4, And when the chief shepherd appears, when Jesus appears, you will receive 
the crown of glory that does not fade away. Five crowns, and I, I believe that's when the crowns will be, will be given out. Now, why do I believe that? Why do I believe that? See, there's this idea floating around, and I get the idea. I kind of get where the thinking comes from. There's an idea floating around that, hey, you die, then immediately you die. You go to the gate. You're standing in front of Peter. Peter has a great big book, and then he opens the books. And then he says, hey, here's your name. Come on in. But that's not biblically correct. That's not how it works at all, because if you read the Bible, this great white throne judgment comes at the very, very end. That's why Paul says it's, it's laid up for me. That's why Peter said it when the chief shepherd appears, it's at the very, very end. It's not the minute you die. The minute you die, to be absent from the body is to be present with Christ. Sure, you'll go to heaven, but that's not when the judgment happens. Why is it at the end? And I think this is so important that you get this. And that is because every single work that you do, every single thing that you do, it has consequences for generations to come. When you give to a ministry, when you put a dollar in the offering plate, that ministry keeps on going long, long, long after you die. And those rewards, they keep on building up. Me and Bubba talked about this Wednesday night, about breaking the cycle of sin in your family. Somewhere, you're here this morning for a reason. You're here because God wants you here. But somewhere in your life, it may have been a family member, it may have been a friend, somebody helped you break the cycle in your family to get things right. And whoever helped you with that shares a part in that. Let me give you the example of my grandmother. My grandmother died, I guess it's been about 20 years ago. 20 years ago. And I wasn't there when she made the decision to raise her three boys in church. Did it alone. She made the decision to raise her three children in church. Three boys. Two of which ended up pastors. One grandson as well. Now listen, even though she is long gone, every person Dad leads to Christ through his ministry. Every person my uncle led to Christ through his ministry. Every person I lead to Christ through my ministry. And every person, my children, or you, every part of that, my grandmother who has been with the Lord a long, long, long time ago to me, those rewards are building up for her. Listen, that's important for you to realize because that means every little thing you do, that means it might seem like a small thing cooking a meal on Wednesday night for some kids, but that's building up rewards from generations to come. You don't know the next Billy Graham might be in the Sunday school class this morning. The next Billy Graham might be there on Wednesday night. The next Billy Graham might be the kid you see that's hungry in the grocery store that you buy a candy bar for. You don't know, but Jesus knows. And just like Amy Corey Barrett went through a list of her actions in the past, one day, one day in those books, your actions will reflect that as well. But the reverse is true. Man, the reverse is true. How many rewards, how many rewards could you be missing out by saying no, where, and what God leads you to do? Wouldn't, wouldn't that be horrible? I mean, I, I want to go to heaven. I do. And I believe that's going to be a great reward in itself. But man... Wouldn't it be great to know that you had a part in building God's kingdom? Hey, you helped lead this little boy who ended up being a great evangelist. Or you helped lead this little girl who ended up being a great missionary. Or whatever the case may be. 
Wouldn't it be horrible to know that you passed that up? And how many rewards you miss, how many blessings the kingdom missed because you didn't listen to the Lord? I want to hear Jesus say, well done. I want to stand before Jesus on that day of that great white throne judgment. Confident knowing that I'm not perfect. Confident knowing that I've made, made mistakes in the past, even in ministry. But knowing that I made a difference in his kingdom. Man, these crowns, they're here and they're for us. Not to be punished on judgment day. Not to be condemned on judgment day. But to be rewarded on judgment day. When we get to hear that chief shepherd say, Well done, my good and faithful servant. But there's more than one book that will be open on that day. As a matter of fact, I don't know how many books it is, but I know it's at least two. You see that he says in verse 12 that books were opened. And then he says there was another book that was open. Another book that was open called the book of life. That second book, that second book, that is the faith book. That is the book that condemns us or confirms us for eternity. Listen, works don't save Works don't save us, and I don't care who says otherwise. If works could save us, Jesus would have never went to an old rugged cross. If works could save us, if knocking on doors, if speaking in languages, if doing all this stuff could save us, they would be no book of life. They'd only be books of works. But there's a book of life. And that is where I want my name to be more than any name. And that book is penned by permanent blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ. Works lead to other people's salvation, not our own. Ephesians 2.8 says we're saved of grace, not of works. But later in the Bible, James wrote, Faith without works is dead. These New Testament writers, they knew they went hand in hand. They knew that, hey, a faith believing in Jesus, a faith believing in somebody that loves you so much that would, that would lay down his life for you... That faith produces works, and those works produce crowns. If you don't have both, maybe you're missing one. Maybe you're missing the most important one. The most important thing is to have your name in that book of life. Have your name in that book of life. Now, that's the scary part. That's the scary part, and I imagine... Judge Barrett's week has been pretty scary, but she's got something to look forward to. Soon it'll be all over, right? Soon it'll be all over. She'll have her appointment, and then she'll be able to get to work. What do we have to look forward to? Again, it's another, another misteaching in churches, maybe because we don't preach it enough or we don't teach it enough. But when I was a kid, the, the thought used to be, well, you die, you go to heaven, you sit on a little cloud, and you play a harp, and that's the way it's going to be. Maybe I'll be a little spiritual being. Maybe I'll have wings, and I'll be an actual angel. Listen, the Bible don't teach that. The Bible teaches that, hey, actually, one day it's not going to be altogether different from what we have now, except sin's going to be gone. There'll be a new earth. All the thorns and the thistles, all the sweat, all the blood, all that junk will be gone. It will be like God originally intended it. He's going to make everything new. And for those of us whose names are in that book of life, we'll get to have a part of that. 
And you get a glimpse of that in Revelation chapter 21, just one little verse over, 21, 1 through 8. John says, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain. For the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It's done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water life to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But here is the but. This is the most important thing. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable murderers, sexual, immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Don't tell me, don't tell me the Bible doesn't speak about a very real and literal hell. Don't tell me the Bible doesn't speak about a very real and literal demon. Don't tell me that the Bible doesn't say to stay away from sorcery and witchcraft. Don't tell me that sin is okay even though it's acceptable. Because one day all that's going to be gone with the people that practice them. But, but for those of us, if our name is in that Lamb's book of life... There's going to be no more death, no more sorrow, no crying, no pain, no corona, no cancer, no Republicans, no Democrats. One day it's going to be gone. And what is the recipe for that confirmation? It's to have your name in the Lamb's Book of Life. That's only for those whose names are in that one single book. How does your name get written in that book? It's not written in that book by knocking on doors. It's not written in that book by serving in the church. It's not written in the book by attending church. Your name gets in that book by simply accepting Jesus Christ as your Savior. For your confirmation hearing, what the great judge is looking for is to say, Yes, Kevin, you accepted me as your Savior. Come on in. Come on in. I see your name. You've done it. All these other people, all this other stuff you see, and we'll see it. The way I see it, John saw it, so I think we'll see these other people there too. All these other people that had a part in wickedness, they're going away. But you come on in with me because you accepted me. I accepted you. Here's your name. Permanent ink. It's over. It's done. Come on in. Is your name in that book? Here's the question. Here's what it all boils down to. Just... Just like that judge this week, it's confirmation or condemnation, one or the other, which is. Hey, thanks for listening today. I hope you enjoyed the message. I hope you understood it. I hope that you know that works will never gain us access into heaven, but works can earn us some glorious crowns. And I hope your name is written in that Lamb's Book of Life and you'll receive your confirmation with crowns. Thanks for listening. Remember to listen to Wednesday Words of Wisdom on our YouTube channel every Wednesday at 6 a.m. Have a great week, everybody.